Blog Talk Radio. www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, that's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And you would like to call in and talk with our guest hosts or to add your memories, then why not call us? And that call-in number is 213-816-1611. That's 213-816-1611. I'll see your number on my producer's board and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us. Again, we are not your normal antenna station located on Earth. However, we are satellite-based, and we are up 22,000 miles above the Earth. That's our antenna. And... As a result of that, we are broadcasting live around the world and have over 50 countries now listening in, either live or listening to our archive version of our shows. If you'd like to add your comments again to our listening audience, the number is 213-816-1611. Why don't you call us now? 
Okay, um, the sound clip that you just heard, uh, it sounded like a little bit of Star Wars and uh, a little bit of Jaws, but uh, it was done during the time that uh, Allegheny Airlines merged with U.S. Air. And uh, that's, we try to play a different airline theme song or sound clip for that airline with every show, a different one. So uh, now before we introduce, let, well, let me introduce our guest right now that uh, shown up on my on my producer's board. First of all, in Conyers, Georgia, I see uh, Captain Jim Holder, who is the proud daddy now of a beautiful little, I don't know how many pounds, uh, Schnauzer. Tell us about it, Jim. How you doing? Well, thank you, man. Glad to be here. Uh, well, actually, she was weighed about, I don't know, an, an apple when we got her. Now she weighs <laughs> a little over eight pounds, and she is just a little miniature Schnauzer, and she will probably at some day be up around 20 pounds. Wow. Uh, she'd had a little problem. She broke her front uh, paws, all the toes on her front paws. She jumped off of our deck and uh, hit a concrete pad. I, she saw a squirrel digging. A, we saw it, and Betty, our <laughs> hearts almost stopped. That's been about nine weeks ago, ten weeks ago, but she came home yesterday, and and uh, she's getting around without a sense for the first time in about the nine weeks. And she is still getting around. I mean, she loves to play chase and grab things and wants you to chase her. And my wife and I being sort of on the older side, we ain't caught her yet. She's a good dog. <laughs> Brenda, do you hear that? I hear your her. laughter. I understand you're, <laughs> so cute. you're following so Jim's cute. little Heidi story. I sure mm. am. Bless her heart. <laughs> How are you doing Who's up there in Canada? Oh, yeah. Good. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah, sorry, Neil. Yeah. Oh, I all of a sudden looked at the time. I was doing the magazine and, oh. <laughs> well, you're well, you got in just to hear me talk about my little baby. Yeah. Yes, and I'm glad. <laughs> I love her picture. Send more. More pictures. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and over in Dripping Springs, Texas, we've got Captain Jim Harris, who also has uh, his own little a uh, little breed. Tell us about it, Jim, and how are things in Dripping Springs? Hey, I have this have this wonderful little dog. Her name is Skylar Ann. She weighs eleven point two pounds. She's jet black, got the blackest little nose and blackest little eyes, and got about twenty five white hairs under her chin. And she's a thrill a minute. There's <laughs> so much fun at company. And today uh, in Dripping Springs, Texas, today it's overcast. A little windy and 48 degrees. Oh, wow. But cheer okay. up. In three or four days, it'll probably be up to 75 or 80 again. All right. I'm cheered I'm, up. I'm not overly fond of cold weather. That's <laughs> one good thing about living here. It, uh, it can be cold, and then on a few days, it'll be 70 degrees. We got to so convince. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, yeah we got to convince Brenda to move south. <laughs> I would not no, wish I like to live the cold where she weather. lives. You like the cold weather, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the Toronto area is a beautiful area of Canada. Wow, my favorite layover city, one of my favorite Aww, ones, anyhow. That's so yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, we the gang's all here for our show today, and but, but first, before we go into it, I've got uh, another announcement, which I've done the last three weeks, and that is the uh, 
the show that we're doing now uh, on Mondays, and that is at 8 p.m., and uh, our next show will be this coming Monday at 8 p.m., and it's not a call-in show. It's uh, it's memories that uh, we tell of Eastern Airlines. So many people have uh, on Facebook and email have sent me uh, requests that since we are now doing an airline radio hour and talking about all airlines, that uh, they want to hear more about their own airline, Eastern Airlines, and of course being with Eastern, and Jim Harris and Jim Holder also with Eastern. Uh, we just, uh, I just decided that uh, heck, we've got a lot of stories we can tell and um, document uh, the great airline that Eastern was. So we're doing that at 8 p.m. Usually it runs about an hour. And uh, the storytellers right now, we're looking for more storytellers. We have Mr. Harry Lindquist and myself, Neil Holland. Uh, we were both former employees with Eastern. Harry was uh, in cruise scheduling and uh, saved me a few times and allowed me to have some time off. And uh, also uh, myself, uh, and I was... Uh, uh, with the airline and flew captain uh, in Atlanta, and uh, but uh, some of the stories that we've just completed in the last two episodes, this Monday will be episode three. Uh, we did a story beginning with uh, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, the history of his life. You know, a lot of folks think and call him the founder of Eastern Airlines, and that's not true. That's not true. Captain Eddie came with Eastern in 1935, and we talk about that. But the original, I call it the root founder of the airline, which was called Pitcairn back in the days, was Harold Pitcairn, and he started it in 27. And Rickenbacker came along in 1935, so, you know, eight years later. So the airline was up and operating, and even operating under its name, Eastern Air Transport because Harold Pitcairn sold the airline three years uh, later uh, to uh, Clement Keyes, and then Keyes, with the new set of board of directors, changed the name of the airline, which was pretty much entirely airmail, because the routes uh, had uh, just been uh, being awarded, rather, by the uh, post office, Department of the Post Office. And then there's a great story that we did uh, on the first uh, issue, or episode, I should say, not issue, but episode, was Captain Jim Holder's great story of the gooseneck filler. I never get tired of hearing that story, Jim. <laughs> I've told it a million times uh, into, <laughs> and you we, know, that different places. And it is a true story. It is yeah, it's a good 100% one. percent true. It's yeah. a good one, and you got to hear this one, folks. So it's in episode one. Uh, so just go to the... Uh, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, and you'll see all of the archive shows that we have done. There are over 700 of them when we first started about 12 years ago. And uh, then there's my story. I like to tell it. I've even told it to my wife. But it's a story <laughs> about it's a story about Boom Boom uh, and uh, Captain Neil, <laughs> meaning me. I, I uh, on one one day I I at the end of the month was late uh, late for my own trip because I was following Boom Boom around the uh, TWA Eastern Terminal in LAX in Los Angeles. But interesting story. <laughs> now I don't tell the story myself because I allow uh, Harry uh, Lindquist to do that storytelling, and I'm not going to tell a story on myself. 
So uh, Harry did a good job of of uh, <laughs> of, of putting it uh, on air. So thank you, Harry, if you're listening. And um, what you'll hear, folks, when you tune us in at eight o'clock, is you're going to hear stories about Eastern uh, as requested by Eastern people, and uh, we're having fun doing this. So if you are want to find out how you can join us in this uh, this new episode of this new show, it's very easy. All you have to have is a recorder and be able to send send it in an MP3 form. And then I can pick it right up in my email and put it right on the air. It's so very easy to do. Harry's uh, learned it real well, and boy, he's he's recording every story he can find. He's got about three books of stories of Eastern. So we're good for the next year at least, or until I die. I don't know how long this is going to stay stay along, stay on the air. But uh, at any rate, we're having fun right now. So uh, put your story in if you want to. If you want to tell a new story, by golly, we'll we'll tell a new story as long as it's about Eastern Airlines. So that's what we do on the, Monday evenings. Yeah, Jim. And the uh, that includes the Eastern Pilots Hunt Club. I yes. hope. Oh yes, as a matter of we've fact, we've got some good stories from the Hunt Club. Well, how can I get a hold of them? Can you send them to me, or would you like to record them yourself? And so we can oh, uh, hear oh. your very strong, dynamic radio voice. <laughs> well, the only one I'd like to tell was uh, the, the, uh, the, the gal that we we rescued deep in the forest. George Upco rescued this beautiful blonde in the woods of Deer Camp, and that is a real another. This is another one hundred percent true story too. And uh, why was she was there, and what she did when we got her, and what she did when she left. Gotta hear it. We got to hear it on the yeah. air. So why don't you okay. write it or either record it? Okay. And I'll tell you, it's very easy okay. to record because everybody in our computers today have what we call a recorder. And you, and it automatically, when you get through recording, all you have to do is save file. And when you scan down the files, uh, the uh, format of the file, you just pick a MP3 and then save it in MP3 and zip. Just send it to me and it's on the air. It'll be on the well, air. Well, I'll try, but it'll probably put my computer down for a month. With <laughs> no. my well, skill and knowledge you. about keeping computers. <laughs> yeah, if you, you're just going to try, then send, write it out and send it to me, and I'll let Harry do it. Harry's I'll get got a Richard. Good, my, our, our ELT guy, I'll get Richard. He'll do it for me. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, so that's what you're going to hear Monday evenings, and we do it about an hour. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, just so we don't uh, put you to sleep telling these stories, they're not uh, bedtime stories. They're just good old Eastern Airline and, and all departments. We tell stories in all departments, marketing, maintenance, uh, you name it. It's a story about Eastern Airlines. And so uh, uh, it's it's fun to do. And um, listen to it and when you can. You don't have to even call in at 8 o'clock because the next day uh, you'll hear a new story in the archives. So just pick up the archives. And right now we have about 16 stories. And we usually do about eight stories because we put in between each story an Eastern Airlines radio or TV commercial. So it kind of breaks uh, okay. up the monotony. Yeah, it kind of breaks up the monotony. Monotony, <laughs> that's a funny word. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
and uh, wakes you up between between stories. So anyhow, that's what we've got on Monday evenings. And of course, we're doing what we call the airline radio talk show, and specifically the airline radio hour. And today I've chose as topics uh, two that we can talk about after we talk about each one of them. Uh, one of them was uh, in uh, on the internet last week, I guess it was, and it was a story about uh, the new pay scales that the airline pilots are earning nowadays. And so we're going to let Captain Jim Harris start us out. And by the time you finish, Captain Jim, we've probably got a little discussion that we can get into because I've got some remarks to make about it, about when I started and not going to, well, I, I'll tell you how much I think we were making back in those days. And I think Jim Harris and Jim Holder can confirm because they were hired the same year I was. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But Captain Jim, if you'll take us about American Airlines and how those pilots are going to be earning the big bucks. They're definitely going to be earning the big bucks. I mean, I was happy with my 100000 a year, yeah, which wasn't too shabby <laughs> at the time. And, and of course, we started the first – I started initially at $525 a month for the first year. Yeah. Uh, then let's see, it, it's six and a half the second year, and we went on increment pay after that, which it, it got up well worthwhile by then. But, yeah. yeah, I was happy with it. Most fun job in the world. Yeah. But – but these guys now they're gonna making more they're gonna be making more money than they can count. <laughs> American Airlines is prepared to raise pilot pay to match that of Delta's, including forty percent cumulative increases and in potential four year deal, CEO Robert Isom said in a message to pilots. Last week, Delta became the first of the biggest US airlines to reach a new contract with this get this, fifteen thousand pilots. They ratified a four-year deal that grants them for 34% cumulative raises, raises and other quality of life improvements. The deal sets the stage for other airlines and unions to reach such agreements. The COVID travel slump caused contract, paused contract negotiations and talks were fraught when demand snapped back as pilots sought better compensation and schedules. Let me be clear. American is prepared to match Delta's pay rates and provide American pilots with the same profit-sharing formula as Delta pilots. Isom said in a message to pilots sent Tuesday and seen by CNBC. An agreement could include 21% pay increases in the first year of the contract, Isom said, factoring in higher 401k contributions by the end of a four-year deal, a captain flying narrow-bodied planes would make, get this, $475,000 at the top of the scale wow. and up and up 135000 on current pay, while the most senior tens of wide-body planes could make, I'm astounding, $590,000 per year, 170000 wow. increase from delay. I mean, that's astronomical. I can't wow. believe it. Eisen also vowed better scheduling and more certainty on when pilots would fly. I'd fly any time for that. <laughs> pilots across the industry have complained about frequent schedule changes during airlines' rocky path 
to rebuilding networks to meet high travel demand. Aviators have also been in short supply. That's how I got my job. <laughs> the Airline Pilots Association, American Airline Pilots Union, didn't immediately comment on Eisen's statement. You know, Jim, yes. I'd like to go back to the first paragraph that you read, or the second paragraph, and it says that they're raising their pilots uh, 34% cumulative raises, and get this, and other quality of life improvements. Well, I heard how that. much quality can you get from the best job in the world dating almost back to the mail wing planes? <laughs> Open cockpit <laughs> flying. <laughs> And, Brenda, I'm sure you probably feel that way, too, back in the cabin pay. I mean, it, it's a great, great job. How can you improve the quality of life? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, see no any kidding. way it could it have been really good. It couldn't have been. Maybe maybe the meal yeah. service that they give us, you know, feed us. But uh, mm -hmm. I don't know whether they're even doing that today to, to the airline crews. Have know. you heard, Brenda? No, I haven't. It's sad, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. You know, what used to be was pretty wonderful. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Now, here's something that I researched. I went back to the early airmail uh, air pilots uh, who were paid $3,600 per year when the average pay for wow. working families back then was $1,300 a year. So, well, uh, so $3,600 a year back then, I guess, was considered good pay. They also had a $0.07 cents per mile that they flew uh, in addition to uh -oh. their yearly salary of $3,600. And mm, now, Jim Harris and Jim Holder, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think, Jim, you said that, uh, Jim Harris, you said that you were making 525 for the first year. I was making 475 Jim Holder, you came along about the same time. But yeah, was yours right. in the 400s or was it in the 500s? something, I think. Yeah. That, that's well, the right figures. Yeah. And, and, and we were supporting families, uh, renting an apartment, uh, had to buy mm -hmm. our own uniforms. Uh, mm -hmm. Pay for our own rooms. Remember those days? Mm -hmm. We didn't. We didn't get uh, crew rooms. We had to pay for that's our right. own rooms. That's that's why in New York I would always stay at the Edison for about six dollars a night, and I could go across the street at the Paramount and pay seven dollars a night. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Uh, and, initially, and initially we had we, to share rooms. We had to share rooms. Remember that? We, we've all yeah. been there. Yes. Yeah. So maybe with, that is shared rooms with what a year was that? Not, not yeah. yeah, this was back in the 1960s and early 70s, Brenda. Okay, wow. Now, That's at Ward Air, did we, you we share always, rooms? Did you share rooms with no, the flight attendant? No, we had the best hotels. We always had individual rooms. And um, Max Ward always made sure that on our paycheck, for every time, every leg of the journey, both ways, we got a $3 tax-free uh, credit to our pay, and that was to tip the bus driver so that we would be hmm. seen as the typical <laughs> nice Canadians around the world. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember amazing. 
Yeah, I remember telling my wife that, uh, you know, when I was uh, wanting to be an airline pilot before I got a job with Eastern, I just, uh, after seeing that great movie, uh, the the um, the uh, High and the Mighty, and John Wayne, I wanted to be like John Wayne in that cockpit. I mm-hmm. just had to be there. So, <laughs> so then I was thinking about the airlines, and I was kind of trying to look to see how much the airline pilot was paid. And back in the late fifties, they were making about twenty-five or twenty-seven thousand dollars a year. Boy, wow. have they have they come a long way? No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, times are changing, and. Um, What's what's a million dollars when, when you can have a billion dollars nowadays? <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and you and the, the funny thing is, you don't even have to leave your house to be a billionaire. Stay at home and be yeah. a billionaire. Just invent an application that's going to sell millions and millions. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, that's but true. at any rate, enough about pay. Enough about pay. Um, it would have been nice, but. Uh, uh, I was I was just thankful to have a job back then, and especially a job with the airlines that I worked for for the rest of my career. And, uh, me too. Me which too. was cut yeah, short, I would, very short. I, I would pay them to let me do it now. Yep. Yeah, I think we all feel that way, and, and yeah, I'm sure you do, Brenda, too. Yeah. Yeah, I know it'll be wonderful. I still think that somehow, you know, somebody should. Just donate a seven four seven for a a trip across the country, say New York to L.A. And we have the Silverliners as the rotating crew. There and you go. That's a good charity. idea. Yeah. And it's high end tickets, and it's a really high end meal. And, <laughs> and crew and then crew changes maybe every hour, you know, and have a long yeah. flight, like a fourteen hour flight somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, and, and we can even have a rotating cockpit crew. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put I that wish, down eh? in my notes. That's a good idea. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <clears throat> okay, now let's get a little more serious. Um, just a little over a week ago, it was the ninth year since Malaysia MH370 vanished. Yeah off the radar screen. And that yep. was on March the 8th, 2014, Malaysia Airlines MH370 vanished from all traffic control radar screens never to be seen again, spawning the most incredible aviation mystery of the 21st century. 239 yeah. people on board were never found and are presumed dead. Investigations dedicated to finding the plane, the victims, or any substantial evidence of what happened have come up with next to nothing, inviting speculation and conspiracy theories to fill the vacuum. In July 2018, the Malaysian government, which has largely taken the responsibility for investigating the disappearance, issued what it said was its final report on the fate of that plane. Malaysia's transport minister, Anthony Loke, had promised total transparency in the document with no redactions or obfuscations 
but it wasn't able to answer the fundamental question of what happened to the plane. French authorities have, st st have started a new investigation into what really happened. In 2023, affected families urged Malaysia's government to allow another search. Jim Harris, would you continue on? I will. Neil, here's what we know. What theories have been put forward and the questions that remain. Flight MH370, a Boeing 777, Kula Lampur, Malaysia, at 12.41 a.m. local time on March 8, 2014, with 239 people on board. More than 150 passengers were Chinese. There were also 38 Malaysians, 7 Indonesians, 6 Australians, and several passengers from a host of other countries, including France, and the U.S. 12 crew members were on board as well. The final communication from the cockpit less than an hour after the takeoff was, Good night, Malaysian 370. The plane stopped, then stopped communicating with air control. With air control, it deviated from its route two hours after takeoff, according to data, data from military radar. For reasons still unknown, the plane abruptly turned back toward Malaysia, then on toward the Indian Ocean. There were reports of bad weather. Uh, or distress. There were no reports of bad weather or distress calls. The, train, the plane traveled south and may have changed altitude at some point. It sent a final automated satellite communication that was received but did not contain any information about where it was. Other aircraft communication had been purposely disabled early. Oh, my little noisemakers or somehow powered down in the flight, already said the plane had disappeared. That, that's my little noisemaker. <laughs> Next, host two. Let's see. I think I'm going to give that to Brenda. Hey, Brenda. Did you, oh, sorry. You I, just, I was just cut off there for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, why. with the sound. Yeah. Okay, yeah. search attempts were quickly launched, but investigators had little idea of where to start and a vast swath of territory where the plane could feasibly be. Teams from Singapore, Vietnam, and Malaysia were searching the water near Vietnam, which is partway between Kuala Lumpur and Beijing, about 12 hours after the contact was lost. FBI teams and Interpol personnel flew in to assist with nine countries contributing to the initial search. Forty ships worked around the clock, and 34 aircraft flew during daylight hours. A total of 26 countries eventually pitched in as the search area widened. They found nothing. On May the 5th, 2014, 79 days after the plane went missing, Malaysia, Australia, and China announced their agreement to search underwater. At the request of the Malaysian government, the Australian Transport Safety Bureau led the investigation, Gabber Little. On January 19, 2015, which was 327 days, almost a year, after the plane vanished, Malaysia officially declared the disappearance an accident. 
one sorry, a report one year after the disappearance gave a detailed picture of delays and protocol violations before the search was launched, CNN reported. Of course, you can't believe them. Um, it, is said, <laughs> it is said five hours and 13 minutes passed between the last communication from the plane and Kuala Lumpur's first distress signal, and then another five hours passed before the first search lights took off. Flights, sorry, took off, according to CNN. The Malaysian government's final report, released on July 30, 2018, said authorities cannot determine with any certainty why the plane disappeared. The key finding was that the plane's sharp diversion at 1.25 a.m. was done manually, but it's still unclear who was responsible for the maneuver. Malaysia's civil aviation chief resigned after the report found that air traffic control did not comply with standard procedures. Who's next? Uh, Jim Holt here. The first piece of MH370 took more than a year to find the fragment of the wing plane being washed up in July of 2015 on Union Island, thousands of miles from Kuala Lumpur. After a four-month hiatus for detailed mapping of the seatbed, the search resumed in October 2015, but bad weather slowed the investigation. A report in March 2016 on the two-year anniversary of the disappearance shed no more light on what happened. By May 2016, more than 150,000 uh, 105,000 square kilometers at 65 uh, over 65 square miles of seafloor in the southern Indian Ocean had been covered, leaving 15,000 square kilometers left to search in the area. In July of 2016, the Dutch company hired by Australian authorities to lead the search said it may have been looking at the wrong area for the past two years. The fruitless search was suspended then in January 2017 after more than $140 million had been spent. Officials said it was possible the crash site was further north. Families of passengers and crew members had become so frustrated that they launched their own search for debris in Madagascar. In the year that followed, organizations like Australia's chief science agency released reports while analysis of satellite imagery and the debris field debris continued and mid talks to formally begin a new search. The Malayans, I can't wrap my tongue around that one, government started the latest search in January of 2018 with Ocean Infinity, that is a private firm based in the U.S., it covered 112,000 square kilometers in the southern Indian Ocean, including a 25,000 square kilometer target area that had not been searched before. But it was called off in May of 2018 with no significant findings, though investigators said they still wanted to search for the north. In years of searching, many suspected pieces have been found, but the only confirmed traces of the Boeing 7 777 aircraft have been three wing fragments that washed up on the Indian Ocean coast in Madagascar, Reunion Island, and Tanzania. Malaysia's Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamed, something like that, had said Malaysia would consider resuming the search if there were new clues. 
host one. Host one. Well, I'll keep going. A new Netflix documentary about the playing MH370 as the host one showed up. Well, I'll keep going. The plane that disappeared was released in March 2023. The show's director calls the plane's disappearance the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Still, the lack of answers, even as more information comes to light, combined with the fruitless searches, means that all left the theories of what might have happened, and some more plausible than others. Some theories have been dismissed by authorities, but others loom large. A theory considered by the Malaysian government and the Australian Transport Safety Bureau that the passengers and crew of MH370 were incapacitated by an oxygen deficiency speculated that everyone on the plane, including its captain, Zahari Ahmad Shah, somehow fell unconscious. The plane would have been on autopilot till it ran out of fuel, then crashed into the sea. Visions of this theory include a hijacking and when someone damaged the oxygen supply or maybe an accident that harmed the mechanics and affected its oxygen levels. Another version of this story, described by a team of analysis on the Australian news program 60 Minutes, Shaw, that's the captain, was the only one awake, and in a suicidal state, he disabled communications before steering the plane into the ocean. But the French investigators looking into the plane said that 2019, that one pilot, seem to have been in control, uh, quote, until the end, end quote. The investigators have not released the final report publicly. Post number two. Thank thank you, Jim. It's me. Um, Others have posited the theory that a pilot deliberately crashed the plane. A Canadian aviation expert and former airplane crash investigator told candidate CBC News in May of 2018 that he was certain it was a murder-suicide by a pilot. But the July 2018 report had offered evidence against the idea that it was a deliberate act by the crew. The 495-page document said neither the pilot nor the first officer showed psychological signs suggesting they could have deliberately crashed the plane. It said that among the crew members, there were no behavioral signs of social isolation, change in habits or interest, self-neglect, or drug or alcohol abuse. Investigators also said the crew's movements captured on CCTV before the flight and their voices on air traffic control recordings did not seem any different from how they were on previous flights. Kaksu Chan, the lead investigators, told reporters at a press conference about the report that the crew exhibited no anxiety or stress. He said that while the report was not ruling out anything, it found plenty of evidence against the suicide theory. But Australia's former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, said in 2020 that the plane's disappearance was almost certainly murder-suicide by the pilot. An engineer whose wife and two children were on the plane said in 2019 that the French investigators had found a mysterious 200-pound load that was added to the flight list after takeoff. Christopher Goodfellow, a former pilot, has speculated that an electrical fire on the plane led pilots to turn it back towards Malaysia to find an emergency landing strip. He said the plane would have flown on autopilot as the firing capacitated the crew and passengers. But another pilot, Patrick Smith, 
said it would have been unlikely that the plane would travel for hours on autopilot after a fire. Other evidence against the theory is that the plane also turned again after heading towards Malaysia. Smith told Business Insider in 2015 that the nature of the debris found might also suggest the plane was under control when it crashed. Back to you, Jim. Thank you. Malaysians gathered in April 2014 for candlelight Virgil for passengers on the missing flight. AP photo Vincent Thayan, not sure, he was on the airplane, I guess, yes, I say that. The plane might have also landed gently in the water and sunk in mostly one piece. Experts say it, have said this theory is consistent with the debris found. Another theory is that the search was in the wrong area and that investigators should be looking north of Malaysia. Perhaps the plane had crashed or perhaps it had landed and was hidden somewhere. But that was rejected by in Marstadt, a British company that owned and operated a satellite that tracked MH370 until it dropped off the network. In July 2018, report pushed back on the theory that batteries and fruit in the plane's cargo had somehow formed an explosive mixture that brought down the airplane. Other theories are that the airplane was taken over remotely in a bid to foil a hijacking, but the 2018 report said there was no technology on the plane that would allow the control to be taken from the pilot remotely. Details that emerged in early reports on the plane's disappearance, including that two people boarded with stolen passports and no one seemed clear on everyone had boarded the plane, have helped other theories swirl. I'm going to uh, turn. No, I'm going to turn the last part over to uh, Jim Harris. Jim Harris, are you uh, reading along here? So, would you finish the uh, story? Yes, I am, and yes, I will. Meanwhile, a piece of debris found in Madagascar in 2022 suggested that the landing gear was open before the plane hit the water, which could support theories that the crash was deliberate but the item had not been officially confirmed to be part of the plane. More Atlantis theories include the plane being shot down, perhaps a U.S. military, the idea that Russian President Vladimir Putin knows the plane's location, a mystery, a mystery extra passenger taking control of the plane, a Bermuda Triangle-style area caused the plane's disappearance, and North Korea taking the plane. Other theories blame the CIA, Israel, and, and aliens, all traditional bogeymen, but conspired theorists. Unanswered questions. Despite the efforts of one of the largest and most expensive searches to date, so much information remains unknown. If the plane's wrap could be established by future by a future investigation or the aircraft itself were to be found, it could provide clues about what it was deliberately heading somewhere or whether there was an accident. We also don't know which of the pilots was flying when it disappeared or whether it was someone else. And ultimately, it may be even that if the plane one day is found, these questions would would still remain unanswered. You know, guys, uh, it's amazing uh, how many uh, of, well, people, people in general, how their minds wrap around a theory or a conspiracy and that's the way it is 
with that person mm -hmm. exactly how that happened that aircraft uh, went missing and uh, as yeah. we've heard uh, they put the blame on all sorts of folks the CIA Israel aliens of course are always always mentioned aliens and and, <laughs> and now I guess maybe they can throw up a uh, balloons floating around that part of the world <laughs> but it's just absolutely amazing of all the theories conspiracy theories that people yeah. dream up I guess that's the best way of de describing them no facts whatsoever just Neil, dream dreaming yeah uh, YouTube I just can finish watching three episodes of about an hour 40 minutes each on this event, this crash, this flight. It's on YouTube. I suggest uh, anyone listening that they go listen to, read those, uh, see those three. Uh, and there's another one, another one. And I just watched it yesterday, a day before yesterday, and it's called Draining the Oceans. And I said, well, what kind of crazy oh, yeah. idea is that? Draining the Oceans. Draining the Oceans. And yeah, and, and I'll tell you, it, if you go there, you can look and see what's on the bottom. They yep. do it by computers and satellites, and it is amazing. And I just got yep, to watch it. it. My son Mike told me about it, and I, it is fantastic. They're draining the oceans. They found old ships that that were sunk two hundred years ago. But they uh -huh. know that by the construction. They, but you, of course, the water's still there, but they're doing it all by computers. Yeah. And yeah. satellites and such like that. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, you know, Jim, uh, I don't know whether you uh, or Jim Harris or you, Brenda, uh, use Google Earth, but I love Google Earth. Yeah. Um, and and when, you, when you look at Google Earth, it shows you all the shelves and the trenches, like the Puerto Rican Trench, mm -hmm. which is the deepest mm -hmm. trench in the Atlantic mm -hmm. Ocean, and the Marianas mm -hmm. Trench out in the Pacific Ocean. It shows you the depths of those. Google Earth does. Oh yes. And so well, this thing that I watched, they they could go down and see an anchor laying in a ship, wow. the wreckage of a ship, and it's done wow. by satellites and computer. It is amazing. I had no idea that they do, that we had the technology yeah, to do all that. Sorts, all sorts of episodes. They did one on uh, Pearl Harbor, and what they did, they proved. That in fact, the United States did fire the first shot that uh, at Pearl Harbor because the crew who are now dead, unfortunately, of um, a PT boat said had made comments that they had fired at one of these small Japanese submarines, and they described, you know, where they fired, where it would have hit it, and what happened. Um, mm -hmm. But they were never taken seriously. It was never proven. Now, Drain the Oceans found that submarine, and My it gosh. was damaged exactly where they said it yeah. was. But unfortunately, wow. the men were not able um, to, you know, find that. But they also did D-Day, which killed me. I couldn't watch because my dad was there. All the yeah. tanks, mm -hmm. you know, he was in a tank. Um, yeah. They did, um, oh, what's that one? Up Way up north in Scotland. And uh, where it, the Germans scuttled battleships, it was that bay, famous. Anyway, they did mm -hmm. that as well. That huh. show is pretty amazing. Drain the oceans. 
because I never <laughs> heard of this until about a week ago. I never even heard of it. I said, well, I go, what is all this about, you know? But I'll so tell you, it's astounding. So what what do you do, yep. Jim or Brenda? Do you just type in your browser, drain the ocean movie or something like that? I, I'd like oh, to see Oh, it's not that. a movie. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's real. <laughs> it's a series. Yeah. I would do that, or I would even maybe go on YouTube and mm. uh, type in drain the oceans because YouTube has a lot of, um, yeah. you know, different series. The other would be, I don't know whether you have Amazon Prime or yeah, whether you have a Roku. Yeah, you know the moved. little uh, device, the streaming device that you attach sure. to your TV? I yeah. got it on Roku. Okay, I'll yeah. look for that. And just you know, that, that drain the ocean. That one that that that, that they found. Now this is like twelve thousand feet down in some channel of uh, you know that that, that it was a two hundred year old coal ship, and it had they could see pieces of coal laying all around where the ship sunk. Uh, and including the anchor, yeah. they could, the, the, it was there too. Amazing, oh amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so wish my dad could and mum could have seen this, uh, living through the war and all the stories. And you know, mum was British, and she would talk about, of course, because she was a teenager. Your formative years, when you'd hear this ship was sunk or the hood and this and that, and it was yeah. uh, oh, just amazing show. Yeah, well, they also do Drain the Desert. Oh, and they've yeah, gone amazing. to the pyramids. <laughs> My yeah, God. It's just amazing. So, yeah, you've got to find it. Drain the oceans or drain the desert. Draining the oceans, yeah. Well, yep. I, what do you think? Uh, what What's your thoughts about uh, one day the airplane being discovered? Do you think that's going to happen with all the technology no, I think that they'll we find, have? I think they'll find it. Yeah, well, they, they've never they, found they, old Amelia. I guess they're all raising a glass to each other. Yeah, you know? that's, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> and they've never found the bodies yeah. on top of Mount Illimani, the uh, flight Eastern Flight 980. They crashed into uh, the mountain. Well, that's, that's wow. bit, yeah, that's a little bit different. They, you know, yeah. it, it, it they could, but it would be a very, very, very expensive thing. They may be halfway down, you know, what's left of them. Well, you know, I got. I got recently on Facebook uh, one of the guys that uh, follows uh, our Facebook presence, Eastern Airlines Retiree Association, EARA, uh, and uh, he's wondering about uh, whether uh, Stacy Greer will uh, is looking at maybe possibly going on another expedition because the airplane, the 727, has slid down to a much lower altitude than where it crashed. Uh, of course, the glacier's mount melting, mm-hmm. and so right. the airplane has slid down the mountain. And uh, this one fellow said that he wonders whether an expedition could be put together, and I put the two of them, Stacy and uh, this fellow, George Lucas, I think his name is. And um, and uh, I think she she's, she's halfway, she can't, I guess she can't afford to, because it's very expensive to go down there and take take a look and cry, you know climb that yeah. mountain, and she's done it once before. I think it's once before, but at any rate, there might be a possibility that uh, they will find uh, some uh, parts of human remains. And but uh, at any rate, uh, it would uh, be amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much our show for today. And I want you to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Brenda about 
what's happening with the uh, show, the uh, Silverliners uh, meeting out in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, whether you got it sold out or whether people can still register that type of thing and what they can people, expect yeah, people can if still they register. attend. It is in um, Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay, so it's um, Phoenix is helping arrange it, but it's actually in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, they have a lot of things organized. Uh, of course, that Friday night, the opening night, as, as you guys would know, it's always so much fun because yeah. there's anticipation, you know, and everybody's just getting to meet each other. So they've got that. Um, they've got the hospitality suite in the opening night uh, with welcome step snacks and libations. And then they have the complimentary happy hour from 5 to 7. And on Saturday, we have the business meeting, of course, which is what we're there for. Um, (laughs) Free afternoon, evening. You're free in the afternoon and evening to explore the Fort Worth Stockyards which and Cattle Drive, which sounds like fun, and the southwest town of Grapevine, which I'm really looking forward to. On Sunday, they have the uh, JFK Trolley Tour to Dealey Plaza. A uh, fundraising membership workshop, which is good to help teach the new um, members, you know, what is successful and how to fundraise. Uh, closing cowgirl buffet, cash bar and entertainment, and then uh, check out. So we can go to the Grapevine Texas wineries and just all, you know, the stockyards look like a lot of fun. So it will be wonderful. Yeah. So we're sure hoping you can still just sign up now. So, um, yeah. Well, well, there we you go. Know, Let's hope we do. Brenda, I've suggested to you that, uh, and uh, Jim Holder, of course, put together, along with the board of directors, uh, many of our conventions of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. And Jim Holder, I suggested that uh, to defray some of the expenses that uh, they have at some of these conventions, we were very successful. Repo was very successful in uh, getting a a, a corporation uh, like the financial advisors uh, of Merrill. I forgot who it was, uh, Merrill Lynch, to come in with a with a uh, happy. I mean, a a hospitality room. Morgan and Stanley up. did too. Yeah, Morgan Stanley. That's who it was. Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. Oh and, yeah. Uh, it, it worked pretty good with us, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I thought uh, maybe perhaps a, a cruise ship tour uh, boat line yeah. might be, since you've got them advertised in the magazine, Brenda. Some of the advertisers yeah. might want to come together and put together a uh, hospitality mm-hmm. suite. It's always fun to go mm-hmm. there because they got an open bar. All day long. Yes. <laughs> we had Alton John come to our, uh, one of our conventions. Uh, you know, he's on TV about cooking or something. I'm not sure what it yeah. was. Yeah. All I know is that I want a print or something, and it hangs in the bedroom now. <laughs> I have no idea what it is, but it hangs there. <laughs> see him on TV. Yeah. Uh, well, now I see Alton John up there. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, we're about out of time, and I'm going to uh, let Captain Jim Harris uh, read the final words of uh, Episode 84 and uh, get us out of here. Captain Jim, would you do the honors? Hang on one sec. Yeah, and thank you, guys. Hang on one sec. uh, It was a great show. One second. Yep. I had walked out in the garage. Yeah. I get back to my confuser. Well, 
I'll be well, right you, there. Did, did, did you turn it off or did you scroll down to the last page and you'll oh, no, see what no, you're no. supposed to say? <laughs> oh, I'm looking for it. <laughs> well, Kitchen table radio, It looks folks. like, here it is. Here, well, it looks like we're about out of time for this week, yeah. so we'll see if Hop Harrigan can put us down gently until we again take off for adventures as yet unknown. It's all yours, Hop. Okay. He says thank you very much, guys, for being with us today. Appreciate <laughs> it. Here he comes. Feeling well, hundred, all clear. Okay, this is Hop Harrigan coming in.
Fading out of sight Slowly fading